Brandon. Hey, Alan. And welcome to Dice Over Everything, the miniatures gaming podcast. So what's the most common excuse you use for buying more miniatures? Because, you know, you definitely want to buy more miniatures, but you have uh, miniatures. We all have the miniatures. most common excuse it for me mm-hmm. is I have no self-control. I don't know <laughs> you if that's an excuse. You don't even excuse. You don't even excuse your behavior. That's... I'm beyond that at this point. I'm just like, no, I, I just want more miniatures. I want to, to spend money on something. And so if I can't buy paints, then I'll buy miniatures. Or if, if paints are not enough for me that day, then I buy miniatures. How about you? Okay. Well, that, that explains why you have such an epic collection. But right. uh, my excuse is I'm just like, oh, I'm going to use this for like a project for something that's coming up on the like on the project list maybe the project is like months away who cares uh-huh. uh, i'm gonna buy it now though even though i'm not gonna do anything with it for months but it's, uh-huh. it's in there's a queue and it's something i'll do in the queue so i'm like yeah i'm gonna get this yeah that definitely makes sense because you want it to be ready when you start playing the game right it sucks yeah. to play non-painted and well, luckily I've, i haven't had to do that for a very long time because i have a problem well, no, it's, it's actually basically, oh, once I finish these models, I need the next thing to paint in the queue. There's, there can be, the queue can be like years long. Yes. That's <laughs> not, not a joke. The queue is not years yeah. long. I realized recently that um, I bought, I, I'm never going to paint my Song of Ice and Fire minis. That, that would be like in a year. They're of so below. Like I, I, I did think about saying, oh, I should just paint it so I have a Song of Ice and Fire army. But at but the you- same time, but you I have really, a queue and you didn't even put them on the queue. You're like, no. Yeah. The, yeah. It's not on my queue. It's literally like they're just standing there. And I'm like, I guess I should just like paint them eventually. Maybe I'll just wash and paint them. But like, I'm like, why do that? Why don't I just sell all this stuff? I'm not even originally my one of my thoughts was I was going to use the Song of Ice and Fire minis for other games. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, Rangers of Shadowdeep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't. I never ended up painting them. Like I have like three or four guys just standing there. And I'm just like, I have enough miniatures from other places that I don't actually need these guys. Right. Like I got them from different, different, uh, different sources. So I don't need the ones from Saga, Mice and Fire, unless I want to make a mass battle, play a mass battle game, which I do not want to. Yeah. Which brings us to a game that's very not mass battle at all. It's almost the very opposite, yep. which mm-hmm. is Rangers of Shadow Deep. It is very small number of guys on the board, and it's not even versus. Yes, it is a uh, man versus dungeon kind of game. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, a lot of people, you know, consider it either co-op or single player, right? Um, and yeah. Um, I guess the, the first thing to say is this game is really, really good. I think we've talked about it uh, many times before and it keeps on coming up because uh, of how good it is. Yeah. So it's so, based for those who have played Frostgrave before, just understand the Frostgrave rule set. It's kind of based around a D20 system where you, you're basically rolling against the opponent, which in this case is the, just the monsters usually that you encounter. So they have their fight values or their, their de- and you have your shoot values or your fight values and you just roll one dice against their one dice and bam, that's what happens. It, it determines yeah. the power of your attack. It determines who hits. Yep. And- Great pace keeps things mm-hmm. uh, fast moving so you don't get bogged down in minutia and like details. And so 
the the way that I I would sell it to someone who is familiar just in general with these kind of things, uh, with the general hobby is it's a blend of choose your own adventure kind of books and miniature, but in miniature gaming form. Yeah. Cause in each individual mission, you can kind of choose what parts of the mission you focus on mm-hmm. or you could try to spread yourself thin. But once you've played the game for a while, you realize that spreading your, your army thin to go and check out all the stuff that's going on in the, each mission as an adventure doesn't work very well. So you've got to make, you've got to make choices in every mission yeah. for where you, how you focus. Yeah. And so uh, I, I don't know for me, I've never really liked single player games or uh, co-op games in general, uh, except for uh, RPGs, right? Because even though it's like a general co-op thing where you're not technically against the dungeon master, there's still, the dungeon master is trying to create an adversarial uh, world to keep things interesting, right? And keep, keep yourself on the toes. And it's, and you're very, and that allows you, right, in a, in a normal pen and paper RPG like Dungeons and Dragons, it allows the world to feel still real as opposed to start start feeling like it's um, it's just it's mechanical, machine. right? Yeah. It's a machine. You're playing against a puzzle as opposed yeah. to atmospheric. Now, the thing that sets, I think, Rangers of Shadow Deep apart from a lot of these other kind of dungeon crawl games if you played descent right which is a board game it's actually very common in a lot of board games especially currently to have these single player games is that is literally i think honestly just the mission um just the mission design so joseph mccullough is like even when you play his frostgrave stuff which is uh uh versus like one-on-one or or or, you know against another opponent right um, he spends a lot of time trying to make each mission atmospheric, right? Oh, yeah. And you make makes it feel like it tells a story, even when you're playing against the other person, which, which you know, when you're playing versus games, they automatically create adversarial stories. Yeah, because in the Frostgate missions, he gives a good description of, like, how you should set up the board and what the feel of the terrain should be. And it often centers around, like, some objects on the board for the mission. So it feels very thematic in the Frostgate missions, which... Is very very much the same setup for the rangers missions yeah and so he comes from it as a thematic storytelling uh, storytelling yeah bent first as opposed to like an interesting game mechanic thing that a lot of other people do um and so because of that it it the missions feel more story-based right the yeah. things like he, he will design them so that story beats are more important than, you know, interesting mechanical things that happen, right? Yeah. Of course, interesting mechanical things happen, but it's in service of the story. It's always in service of the story. Yeah, and I think what keeps it from feeling mechanical is that in like most games, you can see everything that's going on on the board. And if you had just like the puzzle set up on the board where all the pieces were in play at the beginning, you'd be like, oh, it's just the puzzle, I'll just think through at the beginning of how to solve it, then I'll go do it. Mm-hmm. But in the Rangers, a lot of the pieces don't appear on the board immediately. You mm-hmm. draw through basically cards that cause mm-hmm. events to happen. And yeah. then the whole the whole scenario unravels. You just have to be careful not to read too far ahead into the yeah. pages. So you're kind of surprised by it. Which... Yeah. yeah, so there's two things. There's two levels, I guess. There's the event cards, right? So every round... 
uh, instead of having like a set kind of things happening, every round you draw a card and then you check on a table and see what happens. Technically, that's not hidden. So you could technically read all of the, um, the cards yeah. and then you would know exactly what's going to come up. But if you don't, then it becomes mm -hmm. an extra surprise and extra interest, right? Yeah, and small so issue. You've got to have some of these models ready beforehand. So yeah. we'll get into that whole thing about models lately, but because I've been playing with you and you've already played through it and built all these things, it's a surprise to me because I don't <laughs> have all these models ready and know yeah. ahead of time. It's just like, uh, okay. And your collection, as we said at the very beginning, is expansive enough that you haven't had to necessarily build all of this just for Rangers, but yeah, there have been a lot of excuses to build things coming out of it. So That's, that's true. I, I do have a couple of models that like I bought specifically to play as characters in the book. And so it is, it is a kind of thing, I guess we'll go over it later, uh, building a bestiary and, and building a model collection to just be able to do that. Mm -hmm. But I guess it's the same kind of thing if you, if you use miniatures when you play RPGs, right? You just want an expansive collection. So whenever you want to build, bring something up, you're ready, right? Mm -hmm. And so... Yeah, in this one, it mostly falls on the DM. Well, in a, an RPG, it falls on the DM to have stuff ready or he can like assign so, players. But because they, are the, they decide, they're able to set this up. Right. So this one is a little bit harder because, you know, the book is basically your, your kind of your DM. Um, there's also um, story points like, and, and this is why I mentioned choose your own adventure. And uh, even though technically it's a smaller portion of the game, um, they basically, he actually uh, missions do have choose your own adventure stuff. Like you, it'll say, when you get to this point, make a test, like a, a, a skill check. And if you succeed or if you fail, check this note, go to, right? Go to page 12. Exactly. Oh, go to page 12. Page 12. Yeah. Let's go to note like 214. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then you go to that note 214 and it'll say, oh, you are torn limb from limb. Uh, it actually doesn't say that ever. <laughs> but, but a giant troll appears and then tries to tear you limb for limb because that's exactly. happening in our games. And it didn't. Yes. It was scary. Yes. Uh, no spoilers about which mission that happens, but yes, that kind of stuff happens. So, uh, yeah. So you you literally, even if you read all of the cards that pull up, there are certain things that he tries to hide to surprise you, right? Um, which keeps the keeps you on your toes. And, and it's surprising because I've played a lot of dungeon crawlers before, like Descent and things like that, right? Um, and or like a lot of the uh co-op uh board games feel a lot uh, they the veneer of um what do you call it? The veneer of um atmosphere and and story kind of fall apart and it becomes more about just playing the mechanics right? yeah so i think what even adds more to the story in frostgrave is because when you're thinking about those board game based dungeon crawlers mm -hmm. they come with like a pile of paper terrain and like fairly like basic miniatures which you often don't paint so mm -hmm. the whole thing like the atmosphere isn't really as present there but in frostgrave like the more you build, the cooler the game becomes, and the more in depth it becomes. Yeah, and the more so, atmospheric. Yeah, like it really like you get more out of it. The cooler of a collection you have. Yeah, and I guess that's that's the intrinsic thing of miniature games, right? So whenever you do a dungeon crawler, like you said, like in a card game or in a board game, they just are let 
the game itself is less atmospheric. So to me, like I just have a level where I need it to be a certain level and then it kind of drags me in, right? And yep. excuse me, a lot of times these board games and card games just don't reach that level, right? And mm-hmm. so then I start thinking about the mechanics and then I start, you know, that story and that thing stops just is not enough to drag me in. But miniatures by themselves already give you a lot. And then by adding on these extra layers, right, it just makes it feel like miniature games are almost like they're so good for for this kind of, you know, single player kind of dragging you in uh, atmosphere, right? The only thing I think is better is theater of mind and RPGs, right? Of course, Mm -hmm. it's very hard to do that in um, in, uh, like, single player kind of co-op stuff right oh telling yourself your own story you might as well just like sit down at the keyboard and start typing a book at that point which is great it's fun like i love writing stories but it's not nearly the same thing yeah so yeah so i find like just because of the those two things because of the nature of miniature gaming and the Mm -hmm. fact that you like you said you can set up your entire terrain you can make it look super good uh and then because of these kind of like choosing your adventure and kind of interesting mechanics that spring forth um just like surprising things, uh, it really helps sell the uh, the game and keep it interesting as opposed to uh, mechanically focused. Yeah, so I would say that I'm not the type of person who actually wants to play single player games. Yeah, neither like, am I in I, general. Pardon? Neither am I in general. Yeah, because I got Infinity Defiance, which is a dungeon crawler. And it has miniatures that are really nice, but they also play in Infinity, so they're they're very useful miniatures. I, they're in front of me being painted right now. Yeah, but I I had no strong desire to play that game, even though it's meant as a single player thing and it's really pretty deep. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I would rather just build terrain for other projects. I would rather paint miniatures. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to play this by myself. I would just mm-hmm. I'd rather paint like busts or like any other literally person. almost do almost anything in the hobby besides play hobby. Single player. exactly yeah. but when we were playing this before like people stayed in to do things with themselves uh-huh. uh i found it actually better just like having two of us playing because it's yep it basically you can literally play this game by yourself with exactly yeah. the same way Yep. But it just doesn't, it's not the same as playing the exact same thing, but splitting up the units. So one, so you're playing with another person. Yeah, and of course, probably, this is, it's yep. probably very similar to like doing an RPG where you've got your dungeon master. And in theory, you could have one player and one dungeon master, but you're like, oh, that would, that's not nearly as good as having like three people gathered together to like have the conversation between the whole team that's going down yep. there. So it feels like a team of people, not just you, like, so playing the three different people yeah yeah you're not role playing all your different characters there there's now like there's different characters and they have a personality because you're with those people playing the characters on board that's a very small number of miniatures and rangers so it actually feels like you are the character it's not some army and you're just the general sitting back from it it's like oh no this is this is my ranger this is me and this is my helpers and if you gather with your other rangers the dms and the book it's much more yeah i I found much more one me playing a dungeon crawling myself yeah so they do the the game is set up exactly in that way to make you feel more attached to your ranger Uh, so you get one ranger and you get a bunch of companions who are lesser people just to fill out your squad so you can do the missions but Mm -hmm. your ranger is significant portion of your power level right 
And so <clears throat> it is your main thing. And so you, you, you basically focus on that thing and you, you feel some sort of uh, attachment to your ranger, right? That's your guy. And so I think that works uh, really, really, it, it works really well to basically focus you on, on that one person. Um, I do think also what, um, what helps, um, wait, what was I going to say? I'm not cutting off briefly to put in the part about the Rangers oh. and yeah, playing together with another person. Together. Yeah. Yeah. So I agree. Like I did actually play this game by myself though. And mm -hmm. it was actually surprisingly fun. And um, I just want to like basically uh, bash <laughs> other single player games a little bit more just as, as a contrast thing. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I know like uh, I used to be really into playing computer uh, uh, role-playing games as well. Yeah. And here is one, I guess, some criticism for Rangers. So because Rangers of Shatterdeep is a uh, mission-based yeah. like single player game where, where, you know, like unlike an RPG, you don't have a DM that kind of shapes the game around what you do. There is a limited amount of, what do you call it, permanent effect you have, right? Like generally when we talk about the choose your own adventure kind of things, mm -hmm. um, they are limited in scope to every mission, right? How are you going to beat this mission? However, the each mission is relative, like, like um, there's... Like, uh, you have a missions and you have scenarios. So every mission has like three or four scenarios. So within that mission, you might have more say, but sometimes not even scenario to scenario, right? What you're dragging in is like how the, the things you pick up and stuff like that. But the story beats are often the same just because I think this is more like the difference between, I don't know what you, you consider a smaller game and a larger RPG game, right? We think about computer games, right? It's one guy and he's writing missions. So he's not going to have, he's not going to be able to write a branching story where he writes different missions depending on what you do, right? Like he's so it's much more structured on um, every the, like, yeah. It's the resources you gather in your characters that sort of build up over time, as opposed yes. to sort of your missions in the game. Yeah, or the path have, you have giant changes. Yes, exactly, and you see this in a lot of. Um, uh, miniature games as well like campaign games uh one of the things that i did play quite a bit was uh, arkham horror which is a card game for fantasy flight which again has these kind of mission structure but it's a card game right uh that game is much more gamey um so like it's much more about just like gaming the system right so it and and the system is built to, to it just feels a lot more like you're playing a puzzle as opposed to atmospherically doing these things right yeah. um but because you know they have cards and limited pieces they don't you don't have enough branching resources to, to like have entirely different things depending on what you do right and the same kind of thing happens here so to me it feels a lot more like a japanese rpg which is basically here's the story and you do the points and you have some interactions of what you have yeah. It's like a book you're reading through, but you might like skip some pages basically. Yeah. Or exactly how it happens or whatever, uh, kind of goes, goes through. Right. Uh, and that kind of thing. Quests. Yeah, exactly. More like quests as opposed to, uh, you know, a large, really in-depth 
RPG where with branching story paths, right? Where you can do anything, right? Um, and that is so. That is why it surprised me that Rangers of Shadow Deep was so atmospheric, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's like I guess you would consider it, it's like a good Japanese RPG, right? You you have enough um, to even though you're kind of on rails in terms of where you're going, you have enough stuff in between to keep it more atmospheric and playing it out, right? Yeah. Yeah. It reads like a good book as opposed to just like a formulaic book. Exactly, right? And it it puts in enough effort to make it not feel so gamified as opposed to give you so much branching things, like so much freedom that you can change what next mission you do because let's say you killed the monster two missions early right yeah and a lot of dungeon it's it is a dice based game so unlike a lot of dungeon crawlers that don't have dice involved where you just like pure stat line against the enemy stat line you know you're going to win mm-hmm. it does come down to dice with big swings to them because you're using a d20 versus another d20 mm-hmm. so it's not it doesn't feel like you know the outcome at every moment mm-hmm. still feels up in the air when yeah you and I, I do believe like if you fail the mission you do have it does say something different <laughs> Mm-hmm. hopefully you don't die but it, you know like if you fail the mission there are, are negatives for that yeah. so yeah so um one more thing about bashing other things um i do feel like these single player games in general in the hobby outside of just miniature games because i don't actually don't think there are that many single player narrative games out there no because like uh, Blackstone fortress has existed as well yeah there's there's definitely more than there used to be right there's hero quest and and there's a new launch of hero quest and things like that um i think there's a general tendency which i which is not just in rangers i think rangers is just one of the best ones if not the best single player uh game uh for miniatures um there is a push to be like uh not to have everything just so mechanical based and repetitive and repeatable. There's this, there's from the board game market, there's this idea of saying games should be replayable, right? If I can play this game 10 times, then and keep it slightly more inter- like slightly interesting, that's awesome, right? That that makes the game better. But oftentimes to do that, what they end up doing is saying, okay, I have one mission, but I have five different variations on that one mission. Ranges of Shadow Deep takes the entirely different uh, idea that says only ever play the mission once, right? You're not replaying missions, right? Every mission is handcrafted for you. If I was uh, working at Games Workshop, I would say it's best spoke, right? Like yeah. each mission mm-hmm. you play it once and everything is set up and you have surprises and things like that. It's an experience. And I'm going to give you enough missions that you will be satisfied just playing every mission once, right? You're not going to, well, you might want to play more missions, but there's like, but I'm not going to try and trick you into saying, oh, play the same mission. And then this time it's going to be a a cat instead of a dog that you fight, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You get a bigger gun and now you can fight the bigger, bigger boss. Yeah, it's not, it's not that. It's not that exactly. And instead you end up, appreciating every mission more because they don't even worry about making it replayable. They just worry about making when you play it that one time, making it the best experience ever. And that's a huge difference, right? When you say only ever play this one mission once and it, it makes the, the, that mission like gives them more time to, to craft it, to make it feel 
a, a much more tighter narrative experience. And I think this is getting more popular, not just in Rangers, like in all sorts of different games, because, you know, it's become an industry where they don't expect you to, to buy like Hero Quest and then just play Hero Quest every day for the next year, right? They're like, no, you'll buy Hero Quest this month, you'll play through the missions, and then that's your experience, right? And if you played all 10 or 20 missions, uh, that's really good value for what you bought. So Another you have to. Entertainment you got is perfectly good. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And so I feel like Rangers does that really well. And even though I don't necessarily, although I am playing it again, right? I'm playing it with you. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I, I don't have to feel surprised from that because, you know, I also kind of get the surprise, I get the enjoyment of seeing you surprised, right? When you play the mission. So, um, yeah. So, I think in general that has really helped that. And it's helped a lot of these new games to be more interesting than a lot of the older ones. Like, I don't know if you played Pandemic or whatever, but to me, Pandemic is super boring on like the third or fourth playthrough because you're just, you're it's literally just gamified. You're not, it doesn't feel atmospheric at all. Yeah, Frostgrave or Rangers is not about just like building up your power level. Your power level increases a little bit, but it's not like the whole game is about increase your power level to fight the bigger, the bigger baddie. I mean, the baddies yeah. increase power, but it's not its not one of those level up games sort of RPG. Yeah. It's all about yeah. like the new scenario that you're encountering. And yeah, there, there are recommended levels for your, for your ranger for like missions that have been released afterwards. Mm-hmm. But like it's, you could still try and play them. And it wouldn't be like disastrous. Yeah. So, it's not yeah, like trying so... to fight Diablo when you're level three. <laughs> Yes, exactly. It's not like Diablo where the main part of the game is just like a a loot play loop where you kill monster, get XP, get better weapons, get better stats to kill stronger monsters, to get XP, to get to whatever, to get better weapons and stats. And then as as, that's not the main loop, the loop is playing out the mission, playing out the atmosphere, Mm -hmm. uh, like enjoying that kind of experience, right? As opposed to just like there is some feeling of getting better, right? So you do get some of that like power uh, fantasy going through, but it's in, in many ways secondary to the just playing out the scenario and feeling like seeing what happens and experiencing it. Yeah. And that to help with all of these things, I guess immersion, it comes to what we started off talking about is um, the excuse to basically make every mission as atmospheric as possible. Yeah, so you definitely dived into that, which is why I actually like playing the game so much, mm-hmm. because you basically built like buildings to build up the locations, like different floors for when you go into a different area. Like, does the yep. ground on your map actually feel like the mission? And yep. if you start having like several different mats possibly by, or you you've gone and fully modeled, flocked styrofoam boards. Yep. which is like the most intensive version of like the, yep. the look like you see GW like or people who play games workshop games will like mm-hmm. just put a bunch of dirt on like a table which is better than just playing on a plain table yeah and then you've got like the game mats which i mean it's, those are easy to store and you can buy a whole bunch of them or i, I have bought a whole bunch of them i have a bajillion yeah now i i also have like my whole bed has that was under it rolled up anyways <laughs> and but yeah you've gone to like the next level just like fully modeling flocked or or watered or 
wood floors or stone floors, which I would like, I think those are one of the main, like they're so easy, relatively easy to make compared to other terrain that I think a good investment for the game is just to make like a bunch of floor tiles. Mm -hmm. That's one of the first things to play on top of. I think walls actually is important. Yeah, so one of the other things I did was I did make like actually the wall, you know, I have that set of like styrofoam, just general, just walls. And that was literally built to play Rangers of Shadow Deep because there's a lot of interiors in -hmm. the game, right? When you're fighting in interiors and you want to basically remodel and and play those things, right? Um, And I found like, because our main games are, are war games, generally we don't have that kind of stuff. No, because the, the rooms you're in, you might be in like a fully interior mission where you want the board divided up into a series of rooms. Yeah. So having the walls just helps to be like, all right, I'll just put down these different sizes of four, four inch or eight inch long walls mm-hmm. and then create all these rooms. So now we're in this interior space. Yeah. Whereas otherwise, I mean, you just have to like put a bunch of like pieces of paper down on the table to divide yeah divide them properly which would not be atmospheric at all but when you can create all these stone walls of the rooms you're within or there's a building on the board of a particular size you just lay down the walls now you've got your building yeah and it just it just helps with the atmosphere and helps drag you in and it's also so fun and it looks so pretty this is like i see a lot of people on the so there's there's a rangers of shadow deep facebook group right and i see a lot of people do even more than me right where they literally use each like each mission takes them like a month to set up mm-hmm. because they literally model out every single thing needed for that mission so like playing out rangers of shadow deep so for me like i built some reusable things right and so to, to get it to a level that I, i'm comfortable with right but these people are like take it to the next level and they're like no this is not reusable this is the exact specification that the game asked for specific and it makes the each mission beautiful right they basically modeled out the scenarios map and the characters and everything for that mission so it's exactly perfect and there's like that means that the 20 odd missions in the first book is going to take them like five years to play through that's their one hobby but it's so it's in many ways it's just an excuse Mm -hmm. to model and like create these beautiful dioramas basically right yeah so i I suggest against that level because some (laughs) missions is literally just like run down the hill get away uh okay that did not yes i've seen some beautiful yeah so a lot of people modeled so there's this one mission it's like literally the third mission in the book and Mm -hmm. it's you're trying to get like you said run down a hill right but the entire board is a hill and so i've seen people uh like a lot of people model this one thing because apparently this idea of like a hill that you're like a treacherous hill right you see you have that in so many different stories like and books and things like that that it sets people's imaginations like going right and so they want to model this thing perfectly and i've seen some beautiful hills with like a winding path down it right and people spend like must spend months making these beautiful things for one mission that takes like half an hour to an hour to play through. Yeah, exactly. And I'm just like, wow, that is like a lot of work for this one thing. And 
you know what? If that's what you want, and that's like what, like that's that's part of the hobby, right? The it's not that they're making the hill for the mission. It's the mission is like an excuse for them to make the hill. To build a cool diorama with like exactly, cool on it. but I that's going too far. Like you, <laughs> you know what's not, I disagree. I think I, that is no, exactly no, no, right. We, no, when we played it though, we actually set the thing up on a slope. We just took a regular board yeah. and then tilted it. So yes. it's worth, it's worth building the hill, but don't spend months building the hill. Like this, this exp- okay. All the missions, like or alternatively. So here's the other thing that I think is great about Raiders of Shadow Deep and Joe McCullough is that he really encourages you to write your own missions. So the alternative is build the hill. And then write more missions so that you can reuse that hill. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think that is a perfectly good idea, and and that that would be fun. I think. You don't have to tell everyone to go all the way into this game. Like I hope that Joe mm-hmm. McCullough for like a mission, like one of the I don't know another mission. He's just gonna do like five missions for that same pathway, and it'll be like literally that pathway. And he's gonna be like, yeah, here are five more missions so that all those people that build those beautiful hills can play five different missions on this hill. Let's say, I don't know, maybe a lot of people have to use that hill. So like there's a lot of action that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah. Anyways, but I think that brings us to like what, like what's the ideal level of stuff you want to build for this game? Like let's say before you start even playing, because you've got your whole bestiary to the game. Mm-hmm. And then you've got some basic terrain, which comes up every time. And then though, like we said, when you play a mission and you have like the more model is the better. Like maybe there's monsters that come up in that mission. Maybe there's like terrain that comes up in that mission that like you spend a bit of time like the week or two before and you make that and add it to your collection. But like, I guess we would start with like, what do you want to build before you even like get going with the first mission? Just so, cause the more stuff you have, if you have to build everything before every mission, It'll feel like it drags on, but if you do like a terrain yeah. project and a bit of like monster building at the beginning, mm-hmm. I think that's probably ideal. The ideal way to approach it. So, uh, I feel like well, you obviously need your warband. So you need your ranger. If you're playing two people, you need two rangers and like three or four uh, other units. So that's not that many actually for your warband, right? It's yeah. like your warband is, I think, always maxes out at eight people. Yeah, if you're a miniature gamer, you probably already have like a lot of the things yeah. you want to already use against your warband. Or like my biggest recommendation would just like buy WizKids models. Yeah. Because they're they're nice looking models and they're really cheap. Yep. So you just gotta they, make sure to clean up the, the mold lines in class, which they do not gotta, do a good job. Yeah, you have to clean off the mold lines, like fill some fill some lines and then reprime them to cover over the gaps you created. But yeah. Yeah. They fit. They fit really well into the yeah. Yes. They're generally uh, true scale in general, as opposed to the horrendously giant head scale. Um, yeah. And so for the monsters, the main monsters they have are gnolls, right? So you need like eight, five to ten gnolls. Gnolls are they basically say they're like beast men, right? So if you have five to ten different beast men, you can use whatever you want, and and it's like this is your world and there's, and, and you can set it up any way you want. So a lot of people use orcs instead because orcs is a very popular kind of monster. He mm-hmm. je- he basically just said use Nold because he felt like 
you know, I've, I've read in interviews, not enough people use different monsters. It's always orcs or goblins and things like that. Mm-hmm. So he's like, you know what? In this world, gnolls are fulfill the basic goblin slash orc archetype of being the main enemy army force, right? Uh, I guess sometimes most people use humans, but if you're using a monster type, it'll be no, it'll be orcs or goblins, right? Um, so he uses gnolls, but again, you write you create your version of Alador this world that you want to do, right? And so I guess we actually forgot to mention like what the atmosphere of the world is like. You are basically Aragorns. You're an army of Aragorns running around, although you're not actually the king. You're like the rangers without being the actual king. So you're like the it other rangers besides Aragorn mm-hmm. um, from Lord of the Rings. And then you run around doing special missions. You're basically the special ops of the armies of Alador who are being invaded by the Shadow Deep, which is this giant, evil, slowly encroaching... uh, Magical force. Magical force. You don't even know, when you start off, you don't even know what it is, but there's basically a Shadowlands that every once in a while engulfs a kingdom, and then that kingdom falls. And people don't really know what happens underneath this shadow. Like it's literally shadow just takes over an area. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you're an army Alador, your kingdom Alador that basically uh, has a neighboring kingdom, like has never been on the borders of these shadowlands, but a neighboring kingdom is, and then that neighboring kingdom gets engulfed in shadow. So suddenly the shadow deep is right on Alador's doorstep. Right. Whereas before they had a kingdom buffer. And so because of that, they start having to fight this shadow evil force and figure out what, what's going on. And so that's the basic story. Um, and well, I guess spoilers, the shadow darkness has a bunch of gnolls and undead that you need to have. So it's good to have basically, you know, skeletons, zombies, uh, and you can kind of, some you can sort kind of, of trooper thing. Yeah, you yeah. can kind of duplicate the undead. Like you, you get maybe you want like eight or so undead. Um, I basically have. Uh, so there's this kit for just general undead adventures from Mantic, I think, or maybe it was um, what is it North Star? I think it's actually the same kit, which has a selection of skeletons, zombies, and ghouls, and that's like literally perfect for the game. I wonder if like literally Joe McCullough bought has a bunch of those and that's why he he has that spread but you basically will be fighting ghouls skeletons uh zombies you know the basic undead things you'll fight in rpgs and things like that plus your common storm like what do you call it army force which is gnolls right and you can use orcs if you have those instead right uh, that's the main enemies you'll fight. So you probably want to build those up. One thing that helps for the game is that every mission has uh, a set of miniatures that will likely be used in that mission, right? And mm-hmm. so you basically look that up and you basically will know, okay, so I need these things. And and depending on, you know, you will know, okay, so if I, if I need skeleton zombies for this one, but I only have, and, and ghouls, but I only have zombies, well, maybe I'll just duplicate, you know, I know beforehand that I, I need to use zombies for my ghouls if they ever show up, right? Yeah. So before we ever start playing, though, you're pretty sure you want to build like maybe eight or so undead. And then maybe like rats, 
is it rats or is it other little monsters? Like usually there's some there's, little... there's some rats and there's some some spiders. Yeah. So having like some little animal monsters. Yeah. Good as well before you even get going into the campaign. And then as you said, have some beast men before you get going into the thing, because you're gonna need those repeatedly. So those yeah. I think there's a lot of spiders. I didn't actually have spider guys, but we just use small monsters instead, right? This is the thing, right? I have so many miniatures. I'm like, okay. Apparently, I don't have enough spiders. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, uh, I did. You can just buy, like, if it's Halloween, just buy, like, a pack of small spiders and paint them oh, up yeah. with them on bases. Um, I do have a bunch of those. I just haven't painted them up. It's a little bit freaky because, you know, the spider miniatures from, uh, from uh, Halloween are not actually miniatures. They're the actual size of spiders. Yeah, so I do like, oh, if I paint this really, really, really realistically, this is just going to be freaky. Yes, exactly. So I'm like, oh, I better not paint this too realistic because I won't be able to tell if it's a real spider or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so you will need that. So giant spiders are about the size of like, I guess, one to 56 size kind of idea <laughs> of the spiders. Uh, yeah. So that's basically what you need to play. Um, for terrain, I'd say you probably want trees and walls, like I said. Yeah, a lot right. of it's outdoors and trees. And in terms of mats, maybe if you just had one like cobblestone mat and one grass mat, that's okay to start with. <clears throat> yeah, or I'd say like forest, ground forest mat, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to a, a, a grasslands mat. Now, I feel like just that's general, in general, better for uh, for RPGs as well and games because i don't know grassland mats are specific for army like the reason why we have so many grass mats in the hobby is because we're playing army games right the 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 hobby started out as playing army games where people would literally go you know fight outside on on like planes and things like that but when you farmers fields and fight in the fields Mm -hmm. exactly right well you'd fight outside of your 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 uh, city's fields right Right, that kind of thing. Whereas cut down all the trees to you know log them. Exactly. And then plant plant like agriculture and stuff like that. But for RPGs and things like that, where it's about five or ten or whatever, guys, you generally are not going to fight out in the field, right? So it makes more sense just in general to have forest stuff, right? Especially if you're playing skirmish games, it just makes more sense that you'll be playing in something that's more uh what you call like like wooded or something like that yeah or a town mm-hmm. yeah and the game oh the board size in case we haven't mentioned that is usually three by three um so the most common space is actually 30 inches by 30 inches mm, two and a half so by two, two and a half, half by two and a half but it didn't start out that way. So there are some that are still three by three, which I actually find really annoying. And I, I wish that he had just standardized to a couple of sizes. Size. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish it was just, everything was either two and a half by two and a half. Then maybe some would be like two by, th- by two and a half or something like that. Yeah. So basically right. you can buy a four by four mat and then just sort of drape it over the edges of your kitchen table. You don't have to put the whole four by four down. If you want to put the whole four by four down. I don't think I, it ever gets bigger than three by three though. So if you have a three by three space, you're totally fine. And technically I don't even think the three by threes, you need them to be three by three. You're not going to no. lose that much by switching it down to two and a half by two and a half, which is good for if you're playing on your kitchen table. Cause I think we've mentioned many times that having a kitchen table that is three full three feet across is rare. Mm-hmm. 
for like two like and a half normal, Yeah, you have to have a dining table basically, generally, to have a full three three and a half or a ping pong table like we had when we were young. Yes. Yeah, I don't understand. Different. I don't understand how people played these games before. Did they build their own tables? Like, or did we just everyone just have smaller tables than they used to? Was four by six a common dining room table back in the day? I I can't I don't see them being bought like purchasable. I don't see any. Like it's generally 40, 44, or something like that. Yeah. 30, 33 for a kitchen table, and then like 40 for a dining room table, 44. 48 is really wide for a dining room table. Well, maybe they assumed everyone was just building custom tables on like wood. Oh, so annoying. Because there weren't mats but back in the day. Mats weren't. <laughs> That's true. So people were just modeling these things on top of wood. So maybe they're just like, oh, you have a four foot wide piece of wood. Get, get building. <laughs> it's more limited on like, well, uh, we have a six foot uh six by eight room so we basically had a four by eight table oh sorry six by ten room so we have a four by eight table because you're obviously building your table to the specifications of room to take as much space as possible maybe that's actually how they were thinking about it you can only squeeze around it who knows yeah we've moved past that so (laughs) nothing to do with ranges of shatter deep but yeah yeah, so I guess that's the basic stuff you build before each mission. And then when you get into the individual missions, often like new monsters will pop up. Mm-hmm. So like going and finding those one-offs from like, I'm not just whiz kids comes to mind, or maybe if you like particular 40 K models. Mm-hmm. Reaper bones has a lot of really cool models, yeah. a huge or, selection, right? Or even the, more cheap. If you find certain war machines or things are cool. Some of them are better yeah. sculpted that you may want to get. So those, yeah, a lot of them are on sale because War Machines days are, are are mostly over. Yeah, or even if you have like a local game store with a used bin, you can just like go through it and be like, oh, this might show up in a mission. It's an excuse yeah. to get stuff from like if your game store happens to have used bins. Yeah, and you can always double up with uh, a lot of uh, Frostgrave miniatures because um, a lot of those are share monsters right? Mm-hmm. Not only are they, a lot of them just generic monsters, but because, you know, they're both, both of those games are made by Joe McCullough. He has already said many times, he just makes these missions so that he can buy specific miniatures and put them on the table. So I guess if he has, if he has like a cool, I don't know, skeleton warrior death knight, he's like, mm-hmm. you know what? I want to play this in all the games. So he'll, he'll write in a mission with a death knight or in, in either of those. So you can often double up with that. And Frostgrave is also an amazing game. And it's great to have a full bestiary for that too. Yeah, that's that's more obvious of how to build because the bestiary is all on one page. But this is, mm-hmm. this sort of monsters come up as you go. So it's kind of like, there's no point in building it all beforehand. You get to the mission, you kind of build some stuff. Yep. So then even in each mission, you often like encounter people as well, like dead corpses. So mm-hmm. those things are yeah. like, if you get to one of those missions, it's something easy to, to pick up and maybe convert yeah. and paint yeah. up convert or mo- and model there's a bunch of civil- civilians that that show up in a bunch of missions so you probably need those and a lot of it is basically if you think about it like if you're playing an rpg a more now now it's not a high fantasy rpg like rangers of shadow deep is not as high fantasy as modern fantasy 
like or Dungeons even and Dragons. Yeah, or, even yes, it's Frostgrave. Your yeah. abilities are more like you throw some smoke, you do a bit of healing. There's no like giant fireball. Yeah, no, there is a fireball. There's a fireball. But unlike, uh, uh, unlike Frostgrave, all of your abilities in Rangers of Shadow Deep are one use, right? So you have your main kit. And then you have one use abilities. So your spells are one use spells. And the idea is that they're powerful enough that even at one use, they're, you know, they're, they're useful to have. Right. And technically all the abilities are one use. So, you know, if your spell is one use, it's not as big of a deal. Right. Um, and what that, I, I love that kind of mechanic for a single player game because it adds tension where you can't, like in a lot of other games where you can reuse abilities, right? You just, you just spam your most powerful stuff. And then yes, exactly. Right. And then it kind of often breaks uh, the game because, you know, you can beat every mission just spamming your strongest ability. Right. And yeah. this is some problems that, that kind of happen in, in, for example, Arkham Horror, where if you get a deck that's strong enough, like you just use your combo and then you go off on your combo and you complete the mission. Right. For this one, because it's one use, you always have that tension of saying, and especially if you don't know what's coming, right? You're not, you're like, I think this is the strongest monster, so I better use my best ability here, right? Or a lot of the missions are like, I parry a blow or defensively kind of things, right? So you're like, oh, this is probably the worst thing. This is the time to do it. But you never know if later on you should have saved your special ability for that time. Yeah, you think you're in trouble now or you need to like pull off some like special special move to get around someone you use it then be like oh no things have gone downhill but it's gone now yes exactly right so that it adds a lot of tension for having it be one use for that mission right it's a resource you've got to manage not just like a basic skill set yeah so even if you have an amazing ability you better make sure that you use it at the right time right which is definitely makes things fun and keeps things interesting and a simple mechanic right of it doesn't, your mechanics in the game don't have to be super pop, super complicated or super in depth for them to give you interesting decisions, right? Mm-hmm. The game, the mechanic is simple, but the decision that you make is kind of complex and it gives you an atmospheric, again, we talk about like gives you that atmospheric kind of thing. Are you going to use it now? Because you don't necessarily know what's in the future, right? So it makes you, it, it it adds that tension without having to make you, I don't know, calculate a spreadsheet to figure out what you're actually deciding on, right? It just gives you the decision. Do I want to use my ability now or do I want to save it for later for something that's possibly going to happen there? Yeah. Hmm. So we've talked about the terrain. We've talked about like how the game basically plays out mm-hmm. in terms of like what there is out there to purchase to play the game. As we talked about, it's kind of more like a book you're reading through so there's obviously the the core rule book mm-hmm. that is easy to get started off with yep so there's two ways you can buy the core rule book uh you can buy the rule book as it was released uh print on demand from uh was it rpg uh, or a war games vault i think the rpg vault and war games called the same thing drive through rpg yeah oh drive through rpg sorry drive through rpg and war games vault is actually the same thing mm-hmm. um it's just two different brands, right? Um, and you can buy from them, or you can buy the fancy book from uh, Modifius. The faux leather bound version. 
Uh, no, there's a new version, which I think you should buy instead, which is like, so there's the limited edition faux leather green one. I would not buy that one because there's some typos in it, which really annoys me, mm-hmm. right? They redid everything and then there's like two or three typos and that annoys me. They're, they they released the unlimited version, which is a red book. And in my opinion, that's the best book to have because okay. it's it has everything. It's 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 more hard. Uh, it's like a sturdier book because, you know, the print on demand stuff, it's fine. And I bought the hardcover, but it's just cheaper, right? But the the red book, the unlimited release, sure, you don't get the cool green faux leather cover, but you get the right pages inside, which to me is more important, right? And it's a little bit prettier and everything like that. Yeah, and or- the artwork in it is really nice. It's this beautiful, like, it's. I think it's a friend of Joe McCullough who is like a 2D... I don't know if he's a 2D artist, but he all the art is is 2D uh, ink work, pen and ink work, and it is uh, beautiful, right? And it sets the tone. It's all by one artist. It kind of sets the tone for the entire thing, which is great. Yeah, having the rule book is kind of nice for that game because everything's very tactile. Often I'll just be like, no, just just get the PDF version and then forget about it. But in this game, you go back and forth to the rule book. Often enough, you kind of want it in your hand. I mean, you could have a tablet as well and just scroll back and forth. But. Yeah, yeah, you can have, you, yes, right. You can get the PDF as well, mm-hmm. right? Um, and there's a PDF, I think, of both the uh, both the Modifius Nice version and the, the base version there's a PDF for. Um, the, what's nice about the Modifius version is there's a couple of expansions that he added on uh, to the main thing that is already included. It's basically... He had the original rule book, right, that he he self-published from uh, RPG Vault. And then he had like a supplement that adds a couple more things because originally the spells were not powerful enough. So he added some free items that you get to make your spells even stronger. But they take up an item slot, right? So for people who wanted to um, focus more on spell casting, it just brings them up to more powerful, the more power level of uh, a straight fighting range. Or a good bowsman, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think... Generally, I think the Bowman overall is the strongest ranger, but I, I have been running a melee ranger in the last run, and they are also quite strong. The spellcaster ranger is the weakest because of exactly what we talked about. That you exhaust your spells and then you sort of what yes. What and if you exhaust and if you chose incorrectly, uh, you might run out of spells when the boss comes out. So you still, as a spell ranger, you still need to be able to mix it up in in combat right Mm -hmm. even if your main thing is your spells you can't there's no like you're a ranger you are not an old wizard a wizard that only shoots fireballs right you might be like you're a ranger who can like you're more like gandalf i guess you would say where you're fine with a sword but what pushes you over the top is your spells that you use it's a range of shadow deep, not mages of shadow deep. So. Exactly. So it's very different than like Frostgrave where we're running around, just casting spells and doing that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So besides the main book, uh, which has a lot of missions, I think it's like 18, it's not 20, I think it's like 18 missions, something like that, which is a lot to play through, right? And especially if you handcraft every scenario and you make every, you, you, have the exact bestiary for every single scenario that's a lot of gameplay you're going to get out of that right and i and uh besides that though he has published a whole bunch of uh, add-on material uh which is basically extra missions right 
Yeah, I think there were the first four of them, first four add-ons were combined into a compendium. There's a compendium volume one that I think has uh, There might be. I already bought them all separately, so I didn't pay as much for that uh, thing. There's, there's two, yes, I think so. I think the first four missions are like a compendium one. Yeah. Uh, and then I think there is some missions some fan missions that he cleaned up and released as another book and then there's the second main mission so the the first companion is we you could consider them kind of like side quests that they're they're like fun missions to play through but they're not part of the main story mm -hmm. right they're fun things to play through to build up your your thing and kind of see different portions of what's happening in the war right and and participate in, in those portions but he did mention that there are, there are going to be basically three main stories, right? And the first one is in the main book, which is, I think it's called, I don't know, Chalice of Light or something. Anyways, it's in the back of the book. Uh, and then he just finished writing, which is not the companion book that you mentioned, I think, a yeah. second book, which is three, it was released in three different mission packs and they string together to create the second large mission. And then he said that at some point he's going to release a third one. Yep. And in between, you play a whole bunch of different missions. So The Blinding Light is the first book, correct? Blinding Light, yes. Is that called Blinding Light? Something similar to that. Yeah, anyways, it's in the first book. You can play through that. And in my opinion, buy the first book. It's not that expensive, especially if you just want to buy the PDF. You can play through that, and you will see if you like it enough to then buy into these extra missions right and if you just want to play a couple there's like there's now quite a few missions right um and before i was worried it was just going to be an open-ended missions where there's like no quote-unquote conclusion to the story which makes it feel a little bit less um it's like having a book series where you know the author doesn't they never they never be the bad guy Right, they just it, it just kind of peters out, and you never you never know, have a complete story. But I I'm reassured by the fact that he said he is he does want to like create like a core set, right? Like a trilogy, you could say, right, of missions that you play through, and so it becomes and and I and whether or not you know the shadow deep is defeated at the very end. He said that like that will be a complete story. So if you're like really into the story, which I feel like or the atmosphere and, and the gameplay to me, that's important because I'm playing this for that kind of atmosphere. I want to have a more complete cohesive kind of thing instead of just random missions that against the forever enemy. Right. Yep. So I'm really, I'm, I'm really uh, assured because of that, that I will enjoy the experience once we play it through all the way through. Mm -hmm. So, yeah um yeah i think that right, covers yeah right now my my assumption is also the all these other missions that you play through will be somewhat released by modifius so if you if you're only buying the fancy stuff right my my assumption is you will eventually be able to get the full rangers of shadow deep campaign story right which would be so awesome to do oh all is one big book no, no, no. That's like four yeah. books or something like that. I don't know yeah. how many books. Maybe there'll be five books total, right? You put it on your shelf and you're like, hey, one day, you know, 
one day or something, you're like, yeah, I want to play through Rage of Shadowdeep. I buy these five books and I build and like it's a hobby project where I build and then play these missions with a friend and you play through the entire five books and it's there. That mm -hmm. kind of experience to me is really good, right? It's a really, it's something that um, would be really rewarding for, for all the things we talked about. Yeah, because you've built all you've built all like the pieces that go for the missions, and then mm -hmm. had the story. Just and like then the story concludes, and it has a full experience, right? As opposed to you know, like I said, forever wars, which are not as interesting. Yeah, or just campaigns where like I got seventeen points at the end of the campaign. <laughs> there's an ending of the story, and maybe he'll yeah. do a branch for the ending. It'd be cool if there's like two final branching missions or something, but we'll see what he does. Just so that the story feels like you actually got some choice at the very end. Yeah. Maybe you can join the Shadow Deep and let the Shadow Deep take over. Oh, that, that would need more missions. Anyway. <laughs> we don't know what the third the third pack is. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And so there's a lot of, of content now. Like like you said, the second book was how many missions? There's like a ton of like 10, 12, 13 scenarios or more. And then so there's a lot. There's a lot to play through. Yeah. Yeah, it's worth building the stuff to play the yeah, game. So if you invest in it, there's like at least 30 scenarios. There's got to be more than 30. There's like 18 in the... I think there are 40 scenarios at this point. Yeah, but it's a game I say you've got to want to build miniatures. You've got to want to build terrain mm -hmm. to play this game. If you don't like that, then maybe you just go buy a board game. But this is for like... This is for miniature gamers and yeah. for possibly people who like go down the RPG enjoying route. Route without actually playing specific rpgs because let's say you like the more miniature game kind of play style yeah. and the hobby prospect um yeah you do of course lose some things and you know the benefit there's, there's nothing that can replace an rpg except for another rpg right so you're you're going to lose that like direct storytelling kind of thing where you are talking to another imagined character and you get to to do that kind of stuff mm -hmm. uh, because you know the gameplay is miniature gameplay right so you're not going to be like, what are the, the questions are not like, fall, did you fall in love with your, your, I don't know, the other character in your war band? Like that's not going to be any of that, right? No, your, your tactics you use on the board matter. How you position yeah. your guy, how you manage your resources, those, it plays yeah. like a game. And then your characters level up and they, they, they survive or they take injuries and stuff like that. But it's going to be up to you if you want to RP that you're like, the scout, the the novice that you're you are you've been dragging along falls in love with the mage that you've also been dragging along. That's going to be have to be headcanon. It's not part of the actual game. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we've talked mostly about the good things, I guess. As we we wrap up, um, do you have any negatives or things that you don't necessarily like about Rangers, or, or negatives that you you think another game might be able to do better? Oh, the, the small downside, the fact that it's miniatures agnostic, like a lot of those other miniature-based dungeon crawlers, if you think of like Blackstone Fortress or Defiance, which you can't actually buy, it's a Kickstarter, but they come with everything you need to play. So you paint all those things and then you start playing. Yeah. With this, you're like, oh, I was going to play this, but maybe I don't have the thing. And I don't feel like a big, like I've looked it up and there's other people who have put a list of stuff you want to build. But I don't feel like it gives you much guidance in what? There's a long list. Uh, yeah, there is. But the, if you want exactly what's out there, like 
this is a huge hobby project because there's a long list of things if you want exactly what 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 it asks for yeah but like figuring that out is quite difficult with with mm -hmm. what's available so yeah yeah i should probably look up actually the actual list of everything that you need to play well i i went through for frostgrave and literally did stats on like the the rate of appearance of things and how many of them appear at once and then yes added the whole thing out it's like how many on average do you want to build if you want to like have this like eight games out of ten mm -hmm. how many do you need to build and i've got a table somewhere and it's a very long for, list as well for frostgrave it's quite long yeah yeah, I've been it, working on these that. games yeah. definitely are like for hobbyists, right? It's mm -hmm. so if you want everything perfect, you will be spending a lot of time working on that, which you know is good or bad depending on who you are and what you want out of the hobby. Mm -hmm. Yep, That's... I think there's a couple of things for me. Um, I do wish there was more, like we, like I did mention, it's more like an, a, a Japanese RPG where the story is mostly set and you don't have necessarily long lasting effects. And I know like it's very hard to do, but it would be nice, in my opinion, if you had a little bit more branching within branching and more like, impacts. It doesn't have to be a lot, but just a couple of things. And maybe they're coming because I never played, I haven't finished the second large mission so maybe there's more things like that in the second one but to me in the first one everything you yeah. do is kind of independent like you don't go find the red key and then use the red key on the red door it's actually just like you go and you get gold out of the room as opposed to yeah. where you can and you get die. cool pieces and they help you become better and things like that you don't, and you don't have to do a sequence of things usually yeah so just seeing maybe larger impacts of would be nice uh, in the mission. Um, the second thing is the missions are really stingy on loot. Yeah, the game is not It is not loot-based, right? It's not a loot-based game. So, Like you, like we, we said, it's more mission-based, but I wish there was more cooler items like in Frostgrave that yep. you get, right? Yeah, when you get like a pick up a cool item from, let's say, playing Lich Lord, right? And you get some special item that you can only get when you play the Lich Lord campaigns. That's fun, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I wish there was a little bit more of that. That's a minor issue. I feel like both of these, I think the first one is maybe a little bit more impactful. I would rather have that more. Um, but again, these are minor issues. Like I said, this is the best single player experience I've ever had uh, for these, these types of games. So, yeah, we're, everything we're talking about is adding more stuff to the game, and the game plays pretty smoothly as it is, so it's not, not a big yeah. issue. Yeah, so mostly I just have positive things to say. Oh, the third thing is uh, it is still single player or camp uh, a co-op, so if you don't like those games, just stick to Frostgrave. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't like for, I don't like co-op games mostly either, but this one's this one I'm okay with. pretty good. I don't like Zombicide at all. Oh, Zombicide is, is the kind of issue that we talked about before where they spent too much time trying to make things repeatable. So the yeah. gameplay of them is not as um, interesting yeah. because of it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. So overall, I think we've already said we really recommend this game. It's a great game. 
especially now during the pandemic, I don't know how long, much longer you can, <laughs> this thing's going to go. But if you're really bored and not getting enough kind of uh, miniature gaming because you can't meet up with your friends, uh, think about picking this up, right? You can just get it online, read, read through, start building it, have a lot of hobby projects, spend all your time doing it, and then actually being able to be able to play it because it's single player. Yep. And then come back and play it again with your friends later. Yeah, exactly. Like I did. Um, you don't so, need a big yeah. Um, that's basically it. So if you have any uh, questions or thoughts about Rangers, uh, why don't you uh, give us a shout? You can uh, contact us at contact at diceovereverything.com. Yeah, or find us on Facebook or Dice Over Everything. Or if you want to show us stuff you've made for the game or stuff you would use in the game, you can post on Dice Over Everything group. Yeah, and if you want uh, specific things uh, about Rangers, you want to know about that, there is a Rangers... So there's uh, Joe McCullough's personal website, which unfortunately you just got to have look that up. I think it's... I don't remember what its name is. Renaissance, the Renaissance Troll? The Renaissance Troll is his blog... He now has like a professional one, which I think has links to all of the uh, products that you can buy for Rangers. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can just go on Facebook. There's a Rangers of Shadow Deep group that actually Joe McCullough uh, is active on. So you can ask him direct questions about the game or, or answers if you have if you have questions about it or the, the relatively decently sized community around it. Right. Uh, yeah, and you can get involved that way and see if you like it, see what, what's out there and get inspired by the other people that are building giant hills for one mission that takes half an hour to play. Uh, and they, I, they apparently enjoy it. So yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's basically it. Uh, this is me and Alan. Yeah, it's been Brandon. Bye.